Don't buy any courses. Don't just just immerse yourself because nine times out of ten, like a lot of these people selling cryptocurrency courses and stuff, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't even understand on a fundamental protocol level how even a blockchain works. And so I just say like. You know, it just makes me very wary of the information that newcomers are coming in and getting. So I always say, like, the best is always just immerse yourself. One, two, three, four. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dapper Dollars podcast, where we answer your personal finance questions, but a bit with style. I'm your co-host, Nirvan Bomik, and along with me, we have... Hi, everyone. I'm George Anikway. On today's episode, we get to talk about all things finance, money, perfecting those habits. So today, we have the pleasure to introduce David Umo from Easy Finances for You. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So, David, you were born and raised in Nigeria. You came to the States in 2013, and then you graduated uh, with a degree in chemical and biomolecular engineering, and you got your master's in analytics from all from Georgia Tech. Um, you're currently a technical project manager at, for PrintPack, and you've been an investor in the equity space since 2017. You followed it to real estate 2018, and now you've been seriously taking um, cryptocurrency under your into your wing. Uh, since 2019. Um, biggest accomplishment, I'd say it seems like you have about $1. million in real estate assets. Yeah. So one point, I, I believe it's, yeah, it's actually 1.8 in real estate assets, but equity is close to half a million or actually no equity is close to 750,000. Correct. Yeah. So all encompassing everything, uh, you have about $2.5 million in assets. So congrats. And thanks for joining us. Thank you. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So before we get started with the questions, we wanted to start with one quick icebreaker. So um, let's say you won the lottery and you won about $10 million um, and it shows up on your bank account. What would you do with that money? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, if I have $10 million shows up in my bank account, what would I do? Well, I guess I would put um, like maybe 30%, so about $3 million dollars um initially towards opening something like an index universal life insurance and then putting that in a irrevocable trust it's sort of it's sort of like kickstarting like a trust fund it's something i've always intentionally wanted to do once i hit a certain liquidity goal and i mean personally uh for those in the crypto space i am an eth maxi so i'm very bullish on ethereum especially since we've switched to proof of stake so i'll probably say if i put three million towards establishing a trust fund I'll put like maybe another three, four or five million towards buying and staking ETH. I could probably either set up my own validator or probably just stake with like a, another validator like Coinbase or maybe InstaDap Lite. And then the balance would go towards real estate. That's probably off the top of my head what I would do. Pretty aggressive. I'm in my 20s. Um, so I wouldn't put in a trust fund. Uh, I said trust fund rather. An index fund or something that I know classic, traditional um, uh, finance professionals would say. But yeah, I think that's, I'm just thinking out top of my head. Yeah, an, an IUL, stake, buying and staking ETH and real estate. That is brilliant. I like that too. Because, you know, um, most niche niche expectations would be throw everything in, in the stock market and your bank. Well, that's really cool. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, so... <clears throat> I think when, you know, Anya Brand had given the introduction, he spoke about like, you know, what your business is, easy finances for you. Um, 
Can you tell us about your brand, Easy Finances for you? Absolutely. So Easy Finances for You started in 2020. Um, the goal really, and I, I, I've mentioned this before in other podcasts, but the goal really for Easy Finances for You is really just to save time for myself. Um, I, I have a lot of friends, obviously. This was like, I think shortly after COVID, everybody was working from home or either home. And I think there was just this natural sense of, I think especially in 2020, everybody wanted to get into investing and we just saw a rise of that. I think that's where we saw the rise. I always joke, we saw the rise of courses, which is the real true pandemic. Everybody was selling courses back then. And so obviously, but one good thing that definitely came out was this need for investing and like people saw really how like, oh, something like a global pandemic could either like affect your active income and the need to like generate passive income. So I had a lot of friends who were calling me and asking about real estate because they knew I'd like, and been invested in real estate by then. I think in 2020, I had owned two properties already. And so I already got in the hang of like cash flowing um, assets. And so I was getting a lot of calls and also like just general calls about, so back then I used to trade options. So trading options, crypto. And uh, I was having the same conversation repeatedly. And uh, my then girlfriend, now fiance, was actually the one who encouraged me to like, hey, well, why don't you just like put all this info? Because she saw, she was just essentially just third part third person listening and she was seeing that I was having the same conversations over and over again, where there was budgeting, structuring your finance or like getting into real estate or being a first time home buyer. And she was just like, why don't you just set up something where you can just put all this information somewhere and just refer people to it. And I've been familiar with Patreon. And so it just first started with a Patreon. I'm like, you know what, why not? Let me do that. And then obviously it just blossomed into what it is now. But Easy Finances for You brand is basically a brand I started and it was the main goal is primarily just to make finance simple and digestible. Because I feel like there's this huge like nervousness that comes with talking about investing for a lot of people. And I just, the goal was pretty much just to like break all that down, make it more simple, make it more digestible. Uh, for future, we're trying to grow the branding to, to, to formalize into a business. Um, I'm in the process of working on that um, as I, by God's grace, get my green card soon. But formalize to a business, put all our real estate assets into it and just structure it better. Um, but for now, it just remains a brand that will soon be turned, converted to a formalized business and so on. Yep. Oh, wow. Uh, it's awesome. So I yeah. wanted to ask, because looking at your educational background, you have engineering then having a master's in, in data analytics. So mm -hmm. where did the finance understanding come from? Come from, that's a great question. Um, it comes, it, can, it comes from a variety of things, uh, really. Um, so first thing is definitely my dad. I always give credit to my dad when I talk about what was my initial push for investing. I grew up in Nigeria. My dad owned his business. Um, so I grew up in a household where I saw my dad. Um, and he emphasized that a lot. He, he took pride in that, that he never really worked for anyone. And so I grew up in a household where, like, I, essentially my dad was an entrepreneur. And so I always admired that. And also when I graduated college back in uh, undergrad, back in like 2017, one of the first things my dad pushed me to do was make sure you buy your first property. Like he, I guess he didn't even care if I was like cash flowing it. He just wanted me to like, he just was not a huge fan of the idea of just continually renting and not building any equity. So the sense of building equity and net worth, um, I got that from my dad, like the need or the need to build equity. And then overall, I guess I just personally, um, I guess when I hit the realization, I, I got into the workforce and I hit the realization of 
you know, you have your incremental raises of like two, three percent. And then, of course, even when you have a promotion, um, sometimes that ranges anywhere from eight to 10 percent. And then if you want to get maybe even more than that, then you have to like continually switch jobs. I just definitely saw the need for, okay, realistically, if I want to hit the goals that I want to, I need to be creating income outside of my job. And so I guess, so it started from the need of like creating income outside of my job and also just also the entrepreneurial and push side to get into real estate initially for my dad. And then obviously that threw me into trading options and learning more and more about equities market and uh, and real estate. And then it just blossomed into everything that we do now from like learning about IULs and life insurance to build well, cryptocurrencies, the microeconomy, real estate, and so on and so forth. So it was definitely like a gradual step, but for sure, I'll say a huge credit to God first, then my dad, for sure, for just, I guess, pushing us to always be entrepreneurial and, of course, just realizing the need to create an income outside of my nine-to-five. Awesome. Hey, and um, I know you also mentioned about when you started your journey with investing, there's a little bit of nervousness, right? And um, I feel like you can, you and I can relate to like engineers being a very risk averse type of person. So, yeah. you know, how did you break that? And like, are you, are you, would you say you're kind of out of that norm or did it take some sort of mindset adjustment to get out of that and then start that, that process? You know, I'll say, I keep telling people my, my taste for risk, I attribute, even though I don't trade options anymore, I really attribute to the time when I used to trade options because for those who, and this was even before 2017, there was not a whole lot of resources compared to now where seemingly everybody's either trading Forex or options. But back then I, man, you are young, just starting a career. You know, you, I started with TD Ameritrade, Thinkorswim back then. And obviously you have the paper trading account and then you go live trading. And that's always the thing, like paper trading, when you know it's not your money, you're just, you know, you, you create your methodology, you do, you, you find your rhythm. And then when you go live trading, then emotions set in. And I just realized over time, I think it, it took me like a year and a half before I became even like profitable, consistently profitable. But I'll say like just, but over time in that course, just the, the losing money, losing a good bit of money and just, you know, just realizing that, you know, the, the, the discipline that comes with that was, I, I would say, really helped me be more tolerant towards risk, and but also be more strategic in how we analyze risk versus reward. Um, when I, I even say in real estate now, a lot of the things I learned from trading options, I still apply now in real estate when I'm doing my due diligence. Um, but also the second thing I will also say is, um, just recognizing, I think a mentor of mine that I came across back in 2018, 2019, um, in real estate game, just gave me a very good advice that like, um, you may make, you may stay wealthy investing in index funds. Um, if you have like millions in capital, of course, and earning like two, three, four, five percent yield, um, but you're not going to get wealthy investing in index funds. And so... It was very, I think it's a very simple statement, but I think when he told me that, that was also very profound. Um, I think his overall message was just, you know, you're in your 20s, tolerate some risk, uh, but obviously do it strategically. And so I think those two things definitely helped me be more um, risk tolerant. I'm still risk adverse to a degree, but definitely not super conservative. Like, a, like you said, a lot of engineers tend to. Exactly. 
But also, so, you know, first of all, that quote was brilliant. Um, I think it, it does make sense because I think the younger you are, you're more okay to take risks because you know, there's still time to like recover. Um, so with everything that's been happening, you know, giving the, you know, the macro economical trends. Um, so what has been your strategy so far? Are you bearish? Are you bullish? Are you saying, Hey, I'll stop and just be even kill? Great question. Um, so for me, actually, I actually had a consultation earlier today and I, I talked about this with my patron and uh, my strategy is pretty simple. Um, I am, I, secure your cash reserve and your cash reserve entitles like your personal emergency savings. So basically that is um, ideally six months worth of your necessities, your monthly recurring expenses, your necessities. And then on the real estate side, um, six months worth of like your mortgages and bills. And so like your, your run rates, essentially your run capital for your real estate business. So once that is secured, and of course we have that secured, uh, my goal really is these, I'm DCAing to three, two, two assets primarily um, of course, outside of my 401k contributions and all that rest, but I'm descending to ETH and Matic. There are two cryptocurrency tokens, Ethereum, because I am bullish on um, Ethereum as a layer one protocol, smart contracts, all that. And of course, Ethereum recently had a network upgrade, quote unquote, where they switched from proof of work to proof of stake. Um, so that, that that's how, has a lot of benefits energy wise, but also more importantly, there's something they call the EIP 1559 pro- um, mechanism, token mechanism upgrade that they had, which basically has it on track to become a deflationary asset. So I mean, I'm very bullish on that. I'm bullish on the staking mechanism that also allows you to earn ETH Ethereum passively, right? And the same, similarly, Matic is another token, which is the token for Polygon. It's another ecosystem that I'm bullish on in cryptocurrencies. So those are the two currencies I'm primarily buying and staking. And then I'm also currently investing in real estate still. So my strategy right now for real estate is we're focusing on the southeastern market in USA. And so currently I'm working on a project with my dad and a friend of mine, and we are rehabbing a property here in Atlanta. And so I'm looking at fixer uppers. Why? Because construction costs are down now compared to like two years ago when the market was crazy and every good contractor's worth their worth was on like five different projects. So like backlog now, you've seen that the real estate activity has gone down. Um, Labor, labor cost is cheaper, material cost is cheaper. So if you're doing any form of rehabs or renovation, it's a cheaper time to do it now than it was like a year ago. And also there's also more because of um, the, the Southeastern real estate market is holding up better compared to other areas just because of the insane demand that's still there. So I'm talking about like Atlanta, um, Charlotte. And I talked about this recently too on my Patreon where you actually you see Zillow's forecast for 2023 that area tends to um, be the strongest as far as retaining value next year. But also just also looking at the fact that you have more leverage now as a buyer compared to the market a year ago where there was zero leverage for buyers, right? Sellers were getting 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, sometimes even $100,000 above asking, right? Now for fixer uppers, especially what I've always tell like people is you think about it, Majority of the people selling homes that need to be renovated, they typically don't have the capital themselves to renovate it, right? And so if you look at the market of buyers, a lot of people buying, either as first-time home buyers or buying as a primary, they're not necessarily looking for those type of homes, right? Because they're typically looking for homes that are ready to move in. So those homes are typically going to be targeted by investors. And so when you consider the fact that the seller themselves did not necessarily have the capital to fix those homes, in most cases, you have more of a leverage to negotiate price. Like the, the property we bought, 
um, we bought it for 150k, but it was actually appraised at like 175. So we bought it for 25k, lower than asking, uh, lower than the actual value. But obviously, we wouldn't be able to achieve something like that a year ago. So yeah, just to put it simply, buying and staking those two cryptocurrencies to continue to dollar cost average, even in the beer market, because I feel like this is the time to provide you a long term bullish on the asset. I we consistently dollar cost average into those two. And of course, focusing on Southeastern real estate. Nice. Hey, and uh, just to our listeners, I know you, you're you bullish on the two uh, cryptocurrencies that you mentioned, but also with the current environment, I think you've heard about FTX going down. So what are some, um, do, do you invest through like Coinbase or a platform or do you actually have a digital wallet? And can you just give us our listeners some advice on how to approach that? Great question. And SBF is a scam. I'm just going to say that. But um, so self-custody is always the best thing in cryptocurrencies, right? So you, but as a hot wallet or a cold wallet, so Ledger Nano X, is a, there are several Ledger wallets that can get their cold wallets. So cold wallet means it's not connected to the internet unless you're less at risk of it being hacked versus like a hot wallet, which is like your MetaMask or Coinbase wallet and so on. Obviously protect your seed phrase. Do not share that with anyone. Cold custody is always the best. I do use Coinbase. Several reasons why I use Coinbase is Coinbase is a publicly traded company. So their financials every quarter, you, it's, you can look it up versus other exchanges where you have no clue. And also I, I, I feel like personally speaking, and this is a very subjective opinion, Coinbase has shown, um, Coinbase has withstood multiple bear markets, which is a very good sign. So, so three exchanges that comes to mind, that I'll say that has withstood the, the test of time, if you will, in the cryptocurrency industry has like Coinbase, Kraken, Binance, right? But Coinbase and Binance are typically the largest exchange. I personally prefer Coinbase, especially in the USA, like I said, because it's a publicly traded exchange company. You can see their reserves online. For instance, like the CEO posted like a few weeks ago that he had like over, I think it was over 2 million Bitcoin in reserves. And he showed that, hey, listen, our financials are public. So you can look this up. And that was as of September 30th. So I think that's also just something that is really nice. And something also that I know that they're talking about a lot in industry, industry now is this concept of proof of reserves, where you can verify the reserves of different cryptocurrencies on chain. So I think that also be very good if that becomes an industry standard. But I'll say in general, yeah, no, a lot has happened. 3AC blew up, Celsius blew up, Voyager blew up, FTX blew up. We're seeing severally, right? Multiple cases this year, especially. I think 2022 was the year of self like the importance of self custody because i i mean admittedly i lost some money in celsius nothing too crazy but i i, I know people that lost a significant amount of money did and also in ft in ftx i have some friends who worked for a startup in nigeria that essentially raised some funds who alameda research was part of the investors in nigeria and they kept their the, the funds that they raised which i believe was like three million us us dollars which was in the form of stable coins and it was on FTX and they lost it all. So like, yeah, no, for sure. It's, uh, it's crazy. It's risky. I always recommend that like, if you don't really know what you're doing, you're probably best off just holding your tokens in cold storage and forgetting they even exist. And maybe when the next bull market comes around, you can play around with it. But of course, if you, the more and more you get familiar with what you're doing, understand what you're doing, understand blockchain technology, um, then you can leverage um, um, different platforms. Now I will say this, Although platforms like Celsius, Voyager, FTX collapse, DeFi is remaining strong. 
Aave is another good platform that I use all the time. If you're trying to like borrow against your assets, Aave has worked smoothly throughout this um, beer market and throughout all the chaos. Um, Uniswap, a decentralized exchange, working smoothly as well. Instadap is another platform that I really like as well to use. So I'll say just know what you're doing, but if you don't know what you're doing, self-custody. Hey, if you've made it this far into this episode, George and I want to give you a big thank you. It means a lot to us that you find our content valuable. And it will mean the world to us if you can share this episode with your family and friends. That would help this episode and future episodes discovered by many others who find this as valuable as you did. Again, thank you. And let's get back to the episode. So, so that, that's I really do appreciate that. I mean, just being able to speak to just how you've been able to have that information. So for our listeners who are still thinking, okay, this is a space I want to go into. Can you maybe suggest like an online platform where you will get information from or something they could subscribe to where they can actually build the information before taking those um, next steps? So I'll say, okay, a couple of things. I'll say the best way to learn is to immerse yourself. So if you're trying to learn about the space, I'll say you got to immerse yourself. Like, for instance, crypto Twitter is a good pl- I get so much information from crypto Twitter. Like, and then, like, you see crypto Twitter, like, you see there's even Telegram channels. Like, there's different, whether it's NFT communities or different communities. I have a friend that immersed himself in NFT last year, and I told him the same advice. Like, I'm not big on NFTs, so I can't even, like, necessarily give you advice on NFTs. But the one advice I'll tell you is, if this is something that you're interested in, find your community and immerse yourself into that. Whether it's the Telegram channel or whatever you want to do. And he, he did just that. But I'll say the best thing is read up the white paper. Some some of them tend to be very technical. Um, but read up the white paper if you do speak the language and you know your technical of different protocol. It gives you a very fundamental like understanding of like for instance, for instance, the Bitcoin white paper is a good one. It's the first the first cryptocurrency and blockchain essentially, and so it can give you an idea of what Satoshi Nakamoto's vision for blockchain was, right? And then you can see that obviously from that. Other blockchains spurred from that, like Ethereum and so on. You can see how as well. If I always like to narrow it back to Bitcoin, because you can see how, like, okay, my, my, my thinking is always how is this an improvement from Bitcoin, right? Now people can make the argument that it is, it is, it is not. I'm not here to debate that, but I just if you're learning, immerse yourself, um, join different communities. I'll say start with Twitter. And I one channel I personally like. I don't like recommending when it comes to crypto because I mean. We've seen how different platforms, right, can go crazy. But one channel or platform or podcast or whatever or media group that I really like is Bankless, B-A-N-K-L-E-S-S on YouTube. Bankless. Um, they're just a, it's a, these two guys. Um, they interview different people in the industry, and that's sort of they really helped me on my journey. And there's also another guy called Daily Gui, D-A-I-L-Y space G-W-E-I. Um, is a reference to Ethereum's gas, um, but Daily Gui, because he gives he posts daily and talks about different things occurring in the in the in the Ethereum space, or you know, I'll say sometimes he also talks about non-Ethereum things. But he's a good another good channel that I follow. Now I will say Daily Gui is more in depth, so when you grow your knowledge to a certain point, is a good way to keep up with what's new and what's going on. But Bankless, like going back to their old videos of like 2020, like even like the bull case for Ethereum, for instance, that was one episode I always referenced that like really helped fundamentally shape my understanding and bullishness in Ethereum. So those are two platforms that I'm to, if I'm to recommend any at all that I'll say are good to like reference. But 
the best is always immerse yourself. Don't buy any courses. Don't just just immerse yourself because nine times out of ten, like a lot of these people selling cryptocurrency courses and stuff, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't even understand on a fundamental protocol level how even a blockchain works. And so I just say like, you know, it just makes me very wary of the information that newcomers are coming in and getting. So I just it just makes me very wary. So I always say like the best is always just immerse yourself. I appreciate that. I mean, I think that that breakdown would be really well taken by listeners because a lot of people, again, that knowledge base, they're, they're sort of seeking to know where do I go to first. So I really do appreciate that. So, so sort of shifting to something different. Um, so we see from your drive and passion, evidently. Um, so from your career to what you do, um, you know, what would you say your success is being attributed to? Would you say maybe part of your cultural orientation? I mean, being born and raised in Nine Nigeria. I know you mentioned your dad a lot as a role model in like, you know, building some of the thought processes you have now. Um, do you mind sharing like, you know, so what is, where, where your main drive and passion comes from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I attribute all my success to God. Um, I think that honestly, it's it would be naive of me to say that like there weren't things that were just unexplainable. People could call it luck. People could call it just right place, right time. But I just call it the grace of God. So I attribute all my success first and foremost to God. Um, something, a mindset, I will say, though, um, that I have seen, I've never recognized it as an advantage, but I definitely see it as an advantage now. And it's something that I actually, I talk about this with my fiance. I'm going to be very intentional about instilling this in my kids. Is just understanding, especially in this country, understanding that nothing can limit you if you set your mind to do it and you trust God to take you there. Like, I, you know, I, I unfortunately, when I talk to a lot of people, especially since I started consulting with people, like what is on finances, investing, I've every part of time, yeah, but, you know, they'll say something like, yeah, but that's not reachable or feasible. Or, you know, you know how it is in America, like. I don't want to get political on you guys' podcast, but you know what I mean? Like, they'll be like, oh, yeah, but, you know, the system isn't set up for us to win. And while that may very well be true, but I just very much sit on this understanding, like, well, maybe that may be the case for everyone, but that won't be the case for me, right? Just understanding that drive that, like, you know, I have God, I have everything, and I can, I can, if this is where God wants me to go and I put my mind to it, I'm, I'm there. So I think I think that's definitely really helped because even like when you're even interacting and networking, or even something like real estate where you're meeting people and a lot of it is networking and finding the right connections, like people can easily see that confidence and they can appreciate it as well. And so just having that confidence and know how to just recognize the like, you know, if I attribute my mindset to this, I can definitely upbringing, no doubt about it. Like um, coming from Nigeria, I'll say that's another thing. Like we just have this, you know, we have a reputation here, I guess, of just like being go-getters. And I, I think that's just an immigrant mindset in general, right? Just recognizing that ah, we didn't come here to suffer, we came here to hustle, right? <laughs> so, so just having that mindset that like, yeah, no, for sure, we have to hustle and just setting goals, but yeah. And and the last thing I'll say, and I talked about this recently with friends, um, the biggest thing for me as well is in 20, especially this year I did it, but mid 2020, early 2021, I also started breaking up my goals, um, not just business goals, but even personal goals quarterly. 
So the new year is coming up. We have this tendency to set like new year's resolution for the entire year. And that's great. But ra- rather, uh, this was actually an advice I got from another real estate mentor of mine who was like, set your five-year goals and 10-year goals. And then you can also set your yearly goals if you want to. But really what he does is sets his five-year goals and 10-year goals. And then he sets two-year goals that have that are broken down into quarters. And so I don't know what it is, but just breaking up my goals into quarters and then making them smart goals, obviously measurable, achievable, uh, measure, measurable, achievable, recordable, all that good stuff, right? Has really changed the game for me because it's, I've seen my productivity go up significantly because I know exactly what I'm supposed to focus on this quarter, what ideally I'd like to achieve and what we should be prepping to do starting the next quarter. And I've just found that very profound in my opinion. So definitely God, definitely upbringing, definitely a mindset, and definitely breaking up your goals into quarterly goals that you can record and the measurable. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, and I, I think um, what you just said right there is like not only like how you want to break down those goals to reach those, but also that mindset of whether it's immigrant, whether it's whatever your background is, but it is that adjustment that you need to reach that. Because uh, for me, I like to tell my friends, if anybody has gone to that point of failure, I think a lot of us in 2020 and 2021, we can relate to that. We've kind of, that point, we kind of maybe have hit our lows, but like, you can't just look at that, that you've officially failed. Because for me, I like to say like, you've officially failed is if you've given up. If you haven't given up, but then you've maybe failed failed a tiny bit on your goal, but then you're still getting back yourself up and then trying to achieve that goal, you haven't failed. And if I could say one more thing to expand on what you point, I'll say like to that point, like I even make a joke because people always say like, and I think also social media has a lot to do with this, why people think this. Now, that's why sometimes I try to be more transparent about my setbacks. Let people know like, no, it's not all you know, glitter and roses. Like I do have setbacks too, but what people tend to attribute as failures are typically setbacks. And um, one thing I also say is master the mindset of outcome bias. And so never let the outcome determine your view on a step or decision you made. So two things, if the the outcome was great, great, but how really you should analyze something you did was based on the due diligence initially, because you could also have a great outcome, but it was a terrible decision. I could have a terrible outcome, but it was a great decision. And so I feel like sometimes people let outcome bias sets in, especially when there's failure, and that could really affect them going forward. And for me now, I even tell people like what people tend to attribute as failures, which I call setbacks, I've learned to embrace because that's where I've long-term looking back, that's what I've learned the most. And I've also seen that those setbacks have given me very tangible lessons that has potentially even avoided something even catastrophic moving forward. Like I wanna I wanna do all the let me put it this way. I, as I grow in my investing journey, I want to make all the mistakes now <laughs> because like the way I look at it is like, I don't want to make certain mistakes like when I'm dealing with a much higher net worth of capital, right? I want to make the mistakes now. If I'm over levered in a deal, let me let that deal blow up and let me see the mistake now, right? If, I, if I'm doing, like I'm not, if I'm doing this rehab and like we have, um, you make the purchase and the rehab construction is, you know, like, 190, 200,000. If we mess up, that's okay. Let me make the mess up now. I don't want to make the mess up when, like, in the future, by God's grace, I'm dealing with a rehab of, like, let's say an apartment complex or a high rise, and I'm talking in the millions, and I'm like, oh, shoot, this is a lesson I should have learned 
you know, 10 years ago, because that would be more catastrophic, right? So I think just understanding outcome bias is a thing and just fighting hard to resist that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, hey, what was that quote that, uh, George, you, you mentioned something, it was kind of like you learn from your mistakes. It was like a wise person. It goes, um, smart people learn from their mistakes, wise people learn from the mistakes of all the people. So it's kind of, you and and that makes sense because we're such a results-driven culture. Like, you know, people don't take time to actually process, oh, I failed, how do I learn? They say, I fail, and they dwell on that and not wanting to, like, move to um, the next step. So, and, and honestly, like I said, this goes back to trading options. Like, uh, me resisting and overcoming outcome bias, I learned that from trading options. Like, you have to, you, you cannot succeed trading any currency whether it's forex options stocks whatever it is on until you overcome that is very methodological and making sure that your system works versus just the outcome yeah hey so um this channel not only is finance but you know it's called dapper dollars for a reason because we also like talk about fashion um (laughs) finance fashion question for you um you yourself as an investor uh from your perspective how would you gauge a luxury fashion piece as an appreciative asset? That's a great question. I, I feel, let me let me preface this by saying I am not the most uh, fashion savvy person. So if anybody is very fashion savvy. Uh, I was about to say, I said the same thing. If anybody is fashion savvy and yours, we just say nonsense. Like, please forgive me, I am not. But I, I imagine like scarcity would play a huge, scarcity and demand, supply and demand, obviously. But scarcity in the sense of like, okay, is it a limited edition? I really like limited it, it when when something is limited editions in high demand like I feel like those things tend to be the best type of assets to investing. How do you assess demand? And this is where it comes down to the thing that I always say like you have to immerse yourself in whatever industry. So if you're telling me you're into collecting bags, I'll say you better know everything there is to it every, everything there is to fashion bags and collecting bags because I feel like that that is really what places you in the best position to assess demand. And assessing demand is always difficult, no matter what you're investing in, right? So you have open interest if you're trading options, you have looking at um, purchase data or stats or things like that if you're looking at real estate. And so I imagine there's something similar for fashion if you're dealing with purchasing bags or whatever collector's item. So I'll say collector's items, limited editions, and also something I like to see is also Things that have wasted time. So, like, is there a certain brand that people have been collecting for years? Like, Rolexes is a good example. There, people collect Rolexes, right? And they're they're not all Rolexes are made equal, but the limited editions tend to really appreciate over time. And I think I was watching Graham Stephan like a few months back. Who, yeah, I think he was talking about maybe a Rolex or something that he had gotten from his dad. I don't know. I can't remember. But and the one thing that he references that was it was a limited edition and. I guess it appreciated really well. So again, it's just one thing I really appreciate is just how your perspective it comes from a different angle. So 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 that's that's really cool. I like that. Um so I know you we mentioned like you having a pay intern account and you do have sometimes one-on-one con- consultations basically. Um I guess my follow-up question would be with this would be so what sort of consulting services do you offer people? Someone which is out to you to say, hey, I want to make contact. Like what sort of consultations do, do you offer? Basically? Absolutely. 
So, yeah. So for me on my Patreon, I have different tiers and I, they're very cheap. So um, I'm they're primarily just my friends and people that I know because I don't even really advertise it because I've also realized that my time <laughs> is limited. Uh, but uh, for my tier four Patreon, which is 20 bucks a month, I pretty much just meet. Like today I met with one of my friends who's a tier four Patreon. And we talk about, and we meet once every quarter, and we talk about whatever you want to talk about investing-wise. And sometimes I even get in these consultations, and we maybe we talk about something finance for 15 minutes, and then we're gisting for the many 15, right? But it's really whatever you want to talk about. But in general, what, the first services I offer, I don't give financial advice. I don't do that. I'm not a licensed financial. I can't legally give you financial advice, but we can talk about budgeting. I like to talk about budgeting and structuring your finance and automating your finance. So budgeting, meaning starting with the fundamentals, how is your budget laid out? So like we we can get intimate or not, right? In terms of your finances, but looking at like, okay, your net income, how much do I think you should be attributing to our savings? Um, establishing your emergency savings, then dollar cost averaging or automating your investing on top of that. Also automating your finances and budgeting in the sense of like, maybe I always recommend, like I like to, I like to have two checking accounts and a savings account, right? The highest savings interest account. So two checking accounts, one would be for like your needs or bills or subscriptions or recurring expenses, or if you have any debt obligations and your second checking account be for your wants, like the stuff, your quality of life. I call that quality of life stuff that you do to boost your quality of life. Right. And then, you know, you could have like a credit card. You could have the discipline um, that will be tethered to your second checking account so that, you know, monthly you're paying off that credit card with your second checking account. And then um, also building accruing points. So I, I talk about stuff like that with some of my patrons. So just, I'd be like, before we even get into investing, which is something I'm also big on, like, before we talk about investing, how is your finance? How is your health? Can you sustainably keep dollar cost averaging? My goal is for all of my patrons, I always tell them, I don't just want to like tell you this is what I'm investing in and why I'm investing in it. Um, or here's how to like, you know, get your first home. But realistically, I want to make sure you're building or setting up your finances in a sustainable way where... Like, you know, you can you, you have your emergency savings secured. And then, like, you know, in the case like now where we have a beer market, you can still sustainably and consistently DCA your skill into an asset, whatever that asset may be. I have some patrons that are bullish on real estate, specifically some that will not touch crypto with a 10 foot pole. And so maybe they invest in ETFs. Like I have a patron who, for instance, very against crypto and I respect that, but he's very bullish on robotics. So like I think I can't remember the name, but there's a robotics ETF that he invests in. I have a great patron that works for a consultation companies, so he can't necessarily invest in individual stocks. But um, so he invests in like stuff like the QQQ, um, which is obviously the ETF to track the tech stocks primarily, or you know simply just the S&P 500, SPY, and stuff like that. So it's really whatever you're investing in is good to invest. But I'm very big on setting up that um, strong financial foundation. Right, automating your finances if you can, because the I always say we're our worst, we're we're our own worst enemy sometimes with finances. The more you can automate, the better. <laughs> so removing yourself from having influence over your finances, the better. But also just aside from that too, I talk about real estate too. So whether you want to invest in real estate, bird deals, flips, cash flowing, because obviously I cash flow my real estate asset via something called path splitting, short term rentals. I've been doing that since 2018. Um, yeah, so real estate, finances, you want to talk about cryptocurrencies, we can. I've always prefaced that to say I'm very specific in my crypto investing. I invest primarily in like protocols and staking. And in fact, you could say like when it comes to cryptocurrencies, I'm very conservative in my approach compared to others who like do like NFTs and 
scam coins or pump and dumps and all that. I don't do all that. Just something that I'm long-term bullish on, buying, staking, earning passive income, and that's good enough for me. So yeah, I talk about pretty much crypto, real estate, financial foundation, whatever whatever it is you want to talk about. Even life insurance, building. I've had a consultation recently. I talked about building wealth or life insurance, like permanent life insurance, IULs, which I own. I'm not a life insurance agent at all. And so don't ask me anything about selling life insurance. Uh, I can refer you to agents. I do have an agent, for instance, that I've opened my IUL on. But aside from that, I can talk about, yeah, how I leverage or use life insurance to also build equity. So. Nice. Um, <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll, we'll get into uh, for their audience, uh, like how they can connect with you um, near the end of the episode. But before we get in there, uh, we had one last final, like fun question. And sure. we wanted to see kind of where your mind goes with this. Um, so it's called this or that. And uh, you just kind of explain through us why you chose that after you give us that quick 10 second answer. So cool. the situation is um, you can either earn a penny uh, and it doubles every day for the next 30 days, or you can, I can give you a million dollars now and then you can take that. Which one would you go with? I can earn a penny and it doubles for the next 30 days. Uh huh. And I can take a million dollars now and go. That's the other option. I mean, I got to do the math. First of all, let me say this. I would do the math <laughs> first <laughs> to see what the final number, because 30 days is soon, right? But so I would pick, if I had time, I would pick whichever one was greater. But just off the top of my head, intuit- intuitively, um, uh, the million dollars sounds bigger, but I feel like this is a trick question. I feel like the penny might end up being larger at the end of 30 days. So I'll, I'll, let me just say, I might shoot myself in the foot with this one, but I'll pick the first one. Pick a penny okay. that will double every day. I'm, I'm just saying. I could be wrong. Sp- okay. Spoken Whichever like one a true engineer. For our listeners, uh, if you do the math, if it's to 5.4, so 5.36, 5.37 million dollars. Um, mm-hmm. after that 30 days. So yeah, you're right. I knew that was uh, a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was a trick question. That's good. That's good. I like yeah. that one. Yeah. But yeah, um, thanks Thanks for kind of letting the listeners and us to kind of get inside your head and like what goes through your mind. But uh, where can our listeners connect with you and with your services? So my link tree has all my links. Um, so if you find the link tree on the podcast episode, it has all my links. You can connect to me on IG. IG is probably best because I'm more active there, but it's literally the letter E, the letter Z, finances, the number four, and the letter U. So literally easy finances for you. So you can also connect with us on YouTube. Uh, YouTube, again, our YouTube is on our link tree. It's literally easy. So E-A-S-Y space finances space F-O-R four and then space U-Y-O-U. Hey, thank you again, uh, David, for joining us. We really appreciate you. Finally, to the listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, it would really help us out if you can leave us an honest five-star review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, it will be awesome if you can share this episode with your family and friends. That would help gain traction for this episode and our channel. And finally, don't forget to look good, feel good, and do good. See you at the next episode. Bye, y'all.